hope, resurrection in the face of death. If I can just vent a bit here. The question is, what is right in the sight of God? Church is essential to being a human. Ahoy hoy there, listeners, and welcome to another exciting edition of Irreverence. Super exciting because this is, in fact, the last episode before Christmas, and so I suppose you could call this our super Christmas edition of Irreverence. Now, the very good news this week is that our regular co-host, the Reverend TJ Pelham, Holy Clark in Orders Esquire, is celebrating now because... He and his wife have finally had their child. Now, I think I can reveal this on the podcast. We're, we're recording a couple of days in advance. If I can't, I'll simply cut it out. But it's a boy and his name is, let me see here. I've got it here. This is the, this is the, uh, the, 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 the defining moment. His name is Alfred John Pelham. So welcome into the world, Alfred John Pelham. Congratulations to TJ Pelham and his wife. As always, if you are of the praying persuasion, please do say some prayers for Tom, Sarah and their family at this happy time. And I'm equally happy, well, I don't know about equally, but very happy indeed, because I have with me once again, the, 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 uh, the journalistic luminary whose star seems to be growing brighter every week. He's also a priest. His name is Daniel French. Ahoy hoy there, Daniel. Hello, Jamie. Lovely to be on board. Good. And how are you doing today? Well, it's hotting up to Christmas, isn't it? So uh, It's hotting up in say, a sense. Uh, yes. It's not <laughs> busy hot here. Time of the year. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Busy time of the year, Vicar. So, yeah. Uh, yeah it's, Absolutely. Uh, Have you got yeah. many services on this, this Christmas? Yes, we're doing we're doing lots of uh, little sittings of the Christingle, which is um, very popular normally. I mean, two years ago we had five hundred and ten people come through the doors in Salkham alone. Very good, excellent. The other churches, um, so um, and there's a sense. So it's very popular with holiday makers. Um, we get a sense here that a number of second homeowners are in more than usual. So we're yeah. going to do a, a series of sittings of that and then midnight masses. Yeah. I think we've got about four midnight masses across the benefice. Wow. Three clergy and then uh, a similar number on Christmas morning. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Very good. ticketing those. I'm, yeah. I'm not massively into the whole ticketing thing, but uh, yeah. I don't think I'd have won the team if I hadn't really gone down that route. But yeah, yeah. Looking, in, looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, interestingly though, in, in in the Book of Common Prayer, it does actually say that you should you you need to let the I'm not sure who you know is it the the church warden or whomever know before you attend communion, isn't it? And I, as I understand it, historically that was to prevent priests from saying private masses. So it's funny how we're ended up in a in a sort of similar situation, but I suppose for completely different reasons. Now, you see, I thought that was, um, now I've learned something new, this, this is always great to do, isn't it? I thought that was to do with um, people approaching the sacrament in a right moral state. Mm. 
Well, perhaps it is. I just, I just read it. Um, I've been reading a book by Eric Maskell. I don't know if you've come across him. He's a wonderful systematic theologian, Anglo-Catholic yes, theologian. Yeah. Um, from the 20th century. And that he, that's the reason he gave. So I'm just repeating what he said. Um, which, as you probably know, Daniel, is all, uh, all the academic yeah. world is ever about. is just repeating what other people have said and hiding behind their reputation. Anyway, um, so that's, um, that's good. Well, um, we've only got one church in our benefice. Uh, so we've just got one midnight mass and one, one morning service. But if it, yeah, exactly. So it's very easy. I'm only taking one service. Uh, very, very simple. Uh, so, yeah. All right. Well, that's, that's great, Daniel. I hope it all goes very well. Um, I thought we might start just by uh, saying to our listeners, as always, we're, we're still contactable via our email address, which is irreverendpod at gmail.com, irreverendpod at gmail.com, or you can indeed follow us on Twitter at irreverendpod. It's all very simple, all very straightforward and streamlined. Um, we will start, I think, today with a bit of a, a, a news update. Now, uh, feel free to chip in what you'd like here, Daniel, but I suppose the biggest sort of news that's happened in the last few days is that uh, Matt Hancock, our beneficent uh, health minister, has plunged the, the entire London region into a tier three lockdown one week before Christmas. And I'm sure you're across this, Daniel, but the, the reason he gave, or one of the reasons he gave, is that apparently the coronavirus has mutated into an even more virulent and deadly strand, um, which sounds terrifying. Um, it's, it's, it's really depressing, isn't it, Daniel? I mean, what's your response to this? Well, I think we both shared on um, WhatsApp, didn't we, when the, um, the news item came through, there's that sort of uh, inner deep groan. Yeah. Uh, gro- uh, as if the spirit was deep within us, uh, <laughs> speaking beyond even words. I, I found myself hitting my head on the table uh, repeatedly, uh, yeah. thinking, oh, here yeah. we go again. Yeah. Uh, it, it's an extraordinary time, isn't it, where uh, between the institutions of the media and the government, our whole kind of emotional life is being pulled this way and that way and this way and that way yeah. uh, and um it's very worrying isn't it because you might wonder how, how are lots of people coping with this i, I mean I, repeatedly i may have said this before i'm meeting people who say i used to be a news addict vicar and now i don't watch any of it yeah yeah it's the same, same with me you can't blame them can you yeah uh, it's the same with me, Daniel. I barely watch the news anymore. I just, I just hear the headlines every once in a while, but I can't, I can't handle it emotionally. I just find it too upsetting. I really do. I, I'm, I'm minded of, um, oh, what's that great American cartoonist uh, back in the, the 80s and 90s? Um, the name will come back to me in a second. Um, Charles Schultz? Farside. Farside. Last All right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, my printer's just... You rece- it sounds like you're receiving a fax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going analog. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, Larson had this fantastic cartoon of um, a, a cockpit and captain and co-pilot saying, "Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be um, coming through some stormy weather, so please, would you know, buckle up and take just 
don't worry. And um, yeah. you see them looking at each other and then taking the uh, uh, wheels of the plane, you know, the, ste the steering, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and just going crazy with it and laughing their heads off. Uh, and, and everybody in the, in, then the, the shot is everybody in the carriage, in the, the main compartments, looking very sick. And I say, well, that, that's the end of the storm. And, and then they look to each other again and say, oh, no, there's a bit more coming. <laughs> and it's right smile. And they, oh, yes, let's give them, let's give them another go. You know? and, it, and it feels a bit like that, you know, that yeah. we're being, um, uh, our, our, our hearts and our emotional lives are being tossed and turned all over the place. It, yeah. it can't be good for us. No. Um, and, and the media seems to to thrive at the moment. Maybe it's because of algorithms. I don't know. On, um, but on on bad news and really really bad news. You know, and, uh, it seems to be gorging on it. And just when you think, oh, there's a vac, there's a vaccine. Oh well, there's a new strain coming, folks. You know. <laughs> well, well, don't, the get hopes, don't get your hopes up. Could be a coat of arms, or even Matt Hancock. I mean, Matt, Matt Hancock has de de defended the power of the salvific vaccine because he said, even though I mean, it, it, I mean, it it does strain credulity, Daniel. I mean, to be honest, I don't I don't believe anything that is coming out of his um, of his mouth at the moment. I have to say, but but basically, he's saying although there's this new, more virulent and dangerous strain, there's no reason to think that the vaccine is not going to work on this strain. I mean, come on, can, any, can anybody really believe this, this uh, you know, this ad hoc uh, pseudo-scientific nonsense that is coming, that is coming, you know, it, it, surely if there was a new and virulent strain, you know, significantly more virulent, it would raise questions for the vaccine. I mean, as you, as you know, Daniel, I do have questions about these vaccines anyway, but surely it would. I mean, what, what, so this, this vaccine can anticipate um, more virulent strains now, and, and we have such a comprehensive understanding of what this new virulent strain is and, and, and the, the power of this, this magical vaccine that we know. It, I mean, you know, it's just, come on. It's, it's, I, I, I just think this is, this is nonsense, quite frankly. Um, and I feel sorry. I agree with you. I think it's 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 so hard for people emotionally. I feel so sorry for all the business owners who mm. who were were gearing up to have some kind of Christmas trade, and that's all been completely destroyed uh, because in in the London area because because of this. And you know, in places like we're in tier three here. You know, here all the all the pubs and restaurants are, sh are shut, and um, it's it's devastating for them. It's going to be a very, very unhappy Christmas for lots of people as yeah, a result. I've just, I've just seen breaking news. Oh, don't tell me. Guido Fawkes um, has put Drakeford Cuts Christmas Mixing in Wales. Yeah. Well, this is the other thing, Daniel, that I was, I was just about to raise, is I, I wonder whether <laughs> Boris is going to stand up and make a total U-turn on this whole uh, five day period and if so what so can you say any more is there any more there so this is uh, just for our uh, listeners this is we're recording on Wednesday at half past one so this is all breaking as we're speaking but obviously our listeners will know what's happened uh, up to Friday so go ahead uh, Daniel. Uh, First Minister said in a statement clashing with PMQ only two households should come together to form an exclusive Christmas bubble for the five day period. Well it's just it's just unbelievable isn't it like the way that they are 
treating their citizens you know oh well you can have th- well, what about what about the third household now that was planning on 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 going and being present for for christmas does that mean they can't that obviously means that the, so, so a, th- a household is going to have to be chopped you know so we're having um we're having lorna's parents and her brother here which is so technically three households so if something like that happened here we'd have to say that one household couldn't come i mean it's just you know it's just unbelievable and and daniel i think that um I do think that there's a good chance. I mean, I hope it doesn't happen. And I'm sure in his heart of hearts, Boris won't want to do it, but he might be forced to, which is to, you know, just, just um, abandon the whole thing altogether. I don't know what, what you think, but that's my worry. Yeah, well, well again, it, I've noticed there's been a daily drip drip from the BBC in particular, uh, bringing on various scientists and luminaries to tell us how dangerous this all is and is Christmas really worth it <laughs> uh, yeah uh, again it just seems to be from that constituency of uh, people who never really liked it anyway yeah uh, yeah you <laughs> yeah. have an axe to grind um yeah. who knows um well, well, I did notice today going down to the local shop the news agents had this extraordinary but I forgot to take a picture of it because it's such an extraordinary set of headlines. Yeah. You know, Christmas on the line, Christmas hanging, yeah. uh, and, and, and so on and so on. Um, here we are. Carry on Christmas. Christmas plans in the balance, says the, the granuad. Well, they would, wouldn't they? Yeah. Um, and uh, Johnson refuses to revoke Christmas COVID freedom. Too late to cancel Christmas, says Daily Telegraph. The fight before Christmas. I mean, I, I could, if, if I could go back in the TARDIS. Yeah, at least that, one's, at least that last one's funny. 2019. Yeah. That we were going to be in this sort of Cromwellian state where, where our Lord Protectors were working out whether we could gather as Christmas or not. Uh, I, I, I really would think yeah, was that was this vision on medication? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd be thinking you'd, you'd 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 someone had slipped something into your drink and you were having some kind of hallucinogenic trip, wouldn't you? I mean, this is this is so uh, honestly. I just think for for lots of like completely regular people, they probably don't even know what's going on. I mean, they, I, I feel like that with people at my church. Um, you know, it's not a very middle class church at all. And, you know, I know that they're all like having people over and visiting people and everything like that. And they're probably not even aware of these discussions. You know, they'll probably just do what they like at Christmas. And it puts me in mind of, I don't know whether we discussed that. Uh, do you remember that Jonathan Sumption lecture that he gave for the Cam- yes. some Cambridge Law Society or something? And he said eventually yeah. this break down, not on any kind of formal level, but because people just start ignoring it. You know, and if, if they if they try, if they basically say now, all right, Christmas freedom is revoked, I think lots and lots of people will just do what they were planning on doing anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, because because it's it, as you say, they've made their plans and they want to do what they want to do and they're, they're willing to take the risk. I think morally, Daniel, the only serious argument against um, having, well, I mean, against um, completely ending all of this this nonsense and it, it, it is nonsense um is is the only serious moral argument would be to say that there is a genuine threat to our health system and that so many people will become unwell that the health system will literally 
collapse and, and stop being able to function. That's the only argument there could possibly be for this. Apart from that, it's just about individual choice and responsibility towards people who are vulnerable. And as we were talking about last week, that is the kind of thing that we have for the, the entire history of humankind been deciding on a, on a case by case basis uh, based on what individuals are, are willing to risk and their level of knowledge and so on. Uh, and if there is still a risk to the National Health Service, you have to ask the question, what has been going on since March that we have not even gone some way towards rectifying this problem? Um, if there is no risk to the National Health Service, all of this nonsense should just end immediately. And I, I really find it hard to work out why this situation persists. And, you know, we'll, we'll probably talk, we're going to talk a bit later about a statement that was released from the, 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 the Church of England bishops. But it seems to me, Daniel, that not even this, this uh, magical uh, eschatological vaccine is is going to solve this problem. And I'm not even sure, you know, if it is, I'm not sure how, because, you know, at what point are we going to say that enough people have been vaccinated that we can go back to normal? And if the vaccine is not going to solve the problem, then what is, you know, I, I just I'm, don't know. Yeah, and without sounding conspiratorial, I, I'm not saying that there's some secret committee that sort of, that is greatly relishing this and Boris is like Blofeld. Yeah. Take over the world with Bill Gates, yeah. but uh, we, we have created a pattern. It seems, particularly in the last year, of um, uh, of exercising control institutions, uh, not just in not not just advising, but instructing us to do uh, a whole load of things. I think there will be resistance to move away from that. You know, I mean, history mm -hmm. is, is littered, isn't it, with, with governments and regimes, benign or otherwise, who, when they get this level of power, do not give it up without some fight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, they've got a taste for it. I mean, last week we had the First Minister of Scotland giving lectures on how to use serving spoons during Christmas. <laughs> yeah. uh, I thought the, the Telegraph did a fantastic cartoon this morning of um, Granny and Grandad with a sort of 10 foot cracker. <laughs> and then a couple having Christmas dinner they've got all the windows open and they're fr completely frozen <laughs> I'm trying to look cheerful in this cheerless Arctic Christmas gathering and they probably give themselves hypothermia yeah there was the uh, there was the sage committee as well you've seen this where they gave their advice which are things like you know no hugging uh, no board games no giving of cards no giving gifts uh, no singing no loud no loud noises you know, it's just, I mean, the thing is, I mean, in my sermon this week, said Daniel, I, I said, I think we're entering, we've gone from this, you know, the kind of the age which was characterized by the kind of permissive society, you know, where it's all about throwing off the shackles of religion and tradition and everything. And we're moving into this new sort of this new kind of um, this fanatical uh, Purit Puritanism. 
you know, like you say, as you're right to link it with Cromwell, it's, 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 it's different, but it's obviously, it's obviously similar, similar insofar as people are becoming absolutely obsessed with rules and control. And it's so utterly miserable, uh, you know, like all these bans on alcohol. I can't even understand it. I don't, I don't understand how it's even got anything to do with COVID. So in Wales, I think it's the case that you can't, that pubs can't serve alcohol at all. And um, they have to shut at six o'clock. Now, why, why is that? Why can they not serve alcohol? What's that got to do with the coronavirus? It was the same thing in Scotland as well, wasn't it? When a huge swathe of the country were, were banned from selling alcohol. And, and here you can only have alcohol if you, if, in tier two, if you have at the very least a Scotch egg, which we know, you know, we all know very well that a Scotch egg is not a substantial meal. I mean, in what, in what universe is a Scotch egg a substantial meal? Do you know what I mean? It's ridiculous. It's, it was literally created as a snack. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I mean, honestly, who thinks? How disconnected from reality? You know, this, is, this epitomizes everything that's wrong with this political class, is that they are so disconnected from the life of the ordinary man that they think a Scotch egg constitutes a substantial meal. I mean, <laughs> do they even know what a Scotch egg is? <laughs> It would have to be a pretty big... Anyway, let's stop talking about that. Um, no, no. So anyway, that's, that's the news. It's all, it's all pretty doom and gloomy. Uh, thank God for, for what Christmas is all about, which is, which is about the coming of Christ amongst us to, to free us from the folly of human error and uh, stupidity and sin. Um, let's talk. So we've got a few things we're going to talk about this, um, this week. Um, so what, what should we kick off with, with Daniel? Uh, we've got, uh, we're going to have a chat a little bit about social media. We could, talk, we could re- revisit BLM. We've, we're we're going we're gonna to talk about the bishops of the Church of England. Where, where should we start? What would you like to talk about? Why don't we start with the BLM and sort of uh, taking the knee and dibbly? Uh, yeah. All that let's, stuff. Get that out of the way. Let's go for it. The, um, well, the washing wheel of vision. Yeah, the washing the the the, uh, the washing machine of doom. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, no. So let's do this then. Uh, yeah, so Daniel, you've you've written an excellent article in, in the Spectator, uh, which which is it's called "What Was the Point of the Vicar of Dibley's BLM Sermon?" And you're basically refer. I have I have to say I haven't actually watched the clip. I didn't see that the clip is actually included in the um, mm. in the in the in the uh, in the webpage itself. But um, I've read the sermon. Uh, sorry, I've read your article about this particular fictional sermon. And uh, it's excellent. It's doing very well on the Spectator website, isn't it? It's about sort of second most read or something like that. So you've obviously uh, tapped. It's quite extraordinary. Yeah. Well, it's fantastic. Uh, Congratulations. So you've obviously tapped into something. So can you can you say something about this this article and just uh, yeah just give some comments on it, Daniel? Do you know, I was minded by a, a a talk I saw Douglas Murray give a couple of weeks ago online. Yeah. Where he said, yeah. when we're in when different sides of an argument can't agree even on facts we're yeah, in trouble yeah. yeah and i think this is where we're at actually i think he's as always i think he's pretty much on the ball with this that what we've got in this emerging culture war is uh people's living in parallel worlds yeah uh where um yeah, you've got one side who think that, and it's come out of the sort of, you know, the, the baby boomer woke um, 
school of thought that we're, we're, we're all so um, awful that we need unconscious bias training. Yeah. Uh, and that Britain is a systemically racist state, uh, along with all sorts of other problems. Um, that we're just, a, you know, we're a pretty awful place with a with a terrible history, um, and and then you've got, I suppose, the rest of us who think, well, what happened to two world wars, um, and uh, yeah, a, a, a nation that though it had an empire that wasn't perfect, certainly reformed itself to the point where it became one of the instrumental leading lights in abandoning and abolishing slavery. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the keystone to the industrial revolution. And if you go back even further, you know, produces the mother of parliaments. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> how much longer, I think Murray asked us, doesn't it? How much longer do we have to take the knee, bend the knee, be in a state of penance for uh, supposedly our wicked history. You know, uh, so um, it's as if we're in parallel worlds, you know, where one, one side think that rural Britannia is, um, is a toxic, is a toxic tune. Yeah. Uh, and the other are in complete disbelief yeah. that this yeah. is even being questioned. So, I suppose I was writing from that point of view and seeing that that tear in our in our national consciousness goes through even the church. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, I was observing a service not so long ago that I was marginally involved with where the uh, the preacher gave a sermon. Uh, brought you know brought this in unpacked that we were in this supposedly um terrible country mm. uh with all these consequences and um uh, uh and shouldn't the church of england therefore speak up more about you know x y and z yeah uh, and I thought, what 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 country are you living in mate because you know, <laughs> it doesn't seem like the one that i'm yeah yeah However, I would say, and I didn't say this in the article, you know, if, if we're looking at um, problems of race, I mean, certainly we know that last year <laughs> there was one political party that had a, had a real problem with race and it was nothing to do with, uh, you know, with African-Americans, Caribbeans or that, but to do with uh, uh, anti-Semitism. Yeah, to do with the Jews, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's funny yeah. how that's been put under the carpet. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. there there was clear evidence of, of, of some quite, the, the sort of things that, that generations before, you know, our, our families, you know, stuck their neck out and went to war, you know, yeah. and said, We're never again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a nasty, a nasty, um, a nasty sort of, attempt on the part of Corbyn and others to avoid taking responsibility and avoid apologizing, avoid talking about it. 
uh, which which looked you know whereas with this it's like you you know everyone's talking about it all the time and you can't escape it. with with the Labour Party um, it was just it was like as you say they were just trying to brush it under the carpet I think just to interject it Dan it's really interesting you're talking about um, the past and everything like that I've just been reading through um, the book of Jeremiah recently I just read um, Jeremiah chapter 31 today which is uh, the, the part in Jeremiah where there's a prophecy of the new covenant and as part of that prophecy it really it really stood out to me because um, in that prophecy the Lord says something like that it used to be the case that um, the fathers would sin and their children's teeth would be set on edge right but that but that will no longer be the case I can't quite remember how how it how it says it but I think it might say you know the fathers sin their 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 teeth will be set on edge or, or, or whatever but essentially what I think it's sort of talking about is going from a, a situation of kind of the nation as a whole taking responsibility for sin uh, of individuals of, of you know obviously many individual individuals but nevertheless you know the nation and, and he in particular, that lineage from 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 child, sorry, from father to child, and so on. So there's to a situation where individuals would be uh, responsible for their own sin. And there's that famous uh, verse also in in, um, in the book of Ezekiel where it says a similar thing about the soul that sins will die. And uh, it just got me thinking about that again. I mean, we were talking a bit about this last week about the way that you know in the West we we've come to this this very this, this, I would call it a very high cultural point, you know, an ethically uh, superior vision of humanity, if I can put it that way, where individuals take responsibility for their own wrongdoing, right? We're not, we're not really responsible for sins that were committed hundreds of years ago. The people who committed those sins were responsible. Now, you know, there might be ethical questions arising from that. Like, you know, if you directly benefit from, from somebody who's who's enslaved somebody else or, 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 or stolen somebody else's land. Okay, fair enough. But that's a different question to moral culpability, which I would argue can only be incurred in our, you know, in our Western Judeo-Christian way of thinking about things. It can only be incurred through individual sin, right? So if I'm a racist, I'm actually racist, then I can be blamed for that. But I can't be blamed for the fact that my, you know, my great, 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 great grandfather was a racist. Does that, does that make sense? Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, I, I think there was a, it, it may have been Trevor Phillips, the equalities czar, um, or some, someone ar around him who said a, a couple of years ago, you know, let's blame the, let's blame the Romans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so they were, they were probably pretty Italians. racist. <laughs> yeah, there's dastardly Italians. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, how far back do you go, you know? Yeah. And, uh, this, I, mean, I think Jordan Peterson picks up on this, isn't it, as well? And yeah. this, when, when everything becomes this sort of group think and group identity, yeah, something is lost, yeah, uh, and we end up in a very dangerous space. Uh, and, and part of the the critical theory is this naive division of everything into them and us, the goodies and the baddies, the oppressed and the oppressor, you know, the victim and the victimless the victor uh and um i i find it quite a a narrow bandwidth form of thinking yeah uh, and i suppose yeah. since teenage you know since having picked up randomly the gospel of luke and flicked open the pages and there it was love thy enemy uh walk the extra mile uh that was going to be the canon of judgment in the judeo-christian prism that is very different 
from a, uh, a hard left view of the world. Uh, interestingly enough, when I, when I was about 18, 19, I then subsequently went on to do A-level RE and uh, did a, started a, what I thought would be you know, incredibly exciting, um, dissertation on liberation theology. And there's aspects of liberation theology, don't get me wrong, that I like. Um, particularly its cooperative spirit. Mm. But as I read this, I began to realise that they'd sort of airbrushed out this part of Christianity uh, and, and picked up, you know, mainly on sort of the whole Exodus, Moses, let my people go yeah. um, dimension of the, uh, of the scriptures. Um, but... Uh, that to the detriment, really, of of, the, uh, of a large part of the message, and and I failed to see. I I just remember thinking, gosh, I started as a potential fan, and now I'm really quite anti this. Yeah, I, I can't I can't buy, I can't buy having a, a a very narrow bandwidth view of the world where everyone is either in one camp or the other. You know, yeah. that, that yeah. lacks nuance, that lacks, it, it's, it's unintellectual. Yeah, yeah. And that's essential, I've found, of political liberalism and theological liberalism is actually intellectually, I might have certain sympathies of the heart to it, but my head says, I can't buy into this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I, I, yeah. I've always felt the same way. I think about liberation theology. Is I think it's a kind of, it's seeing it's seeing Christianity through through something which is pretty much a Marxist um, prism. I think it's 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 it, as you say, it's about thinking about people in, in in those in those kind of groups, and then attributing that, which is I think even more problematic, kind of attributing that to God. You know, now, so that. Uh, did you notice? Well, you, you haven't watched the clip, but when you watch the clip, yeah. Um, Dawn French begins, or Reverend Geraldine begins, by talking about the. She, she doesn't call them the you know the people of Dibley. She calls them the Dribblies. Here, here the Dribblies, obviously being very disingenuous yeah. to them. You know, fact that they're that they're old and past it, and really, you know, gosh, they're they're pre-modern. You know, yeah. So, so hence, there's the pulling down of. Uh, a couple of posters, one for decimalization, uh, the, the other one, I think, lost cat or something, I can't recall, but, um, you know, the, 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 the message, the, the underlying message is, is, is there not so subtly, isn't it? That yeah. If you don't believe in this, you, if you don't, if you don't go alongside this, then you're a dribbly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's terrible, isn't it? I mean, that's so, that's so, um, that's so, I mean, I've got it here. Daniel, should we just, should we, shall I just play it over the microphone? We could just yeah, listen to on. it now. Let's do that. I'm sure if our listeners yeah, haven't, well, and I haven't heard it either. So let's, let's do it now. It's about a minute and it's a, it's a minute and a half. So, so this is it. thing is 10 minutes. Oh, is it? So this is just one part of it. This is the um, offending part in particular. Okay, let's see if this works. Here we go. The world. This last week, I've been thinking about this Black Lives Matter thing and the horror show that was the murder of George Floyd. Now this is tricky for us in Dribbley, 
because we're not the most diverse community. But, you know, I don't think it matters where you're from. I think it matters that you do something about it. Because Jesus would, wouldn't he? And, um, listen, I'm aware that all lives matter, obviously. But until all lives matter the same, we're doing something very wrong. So I think we need to focus on justice for a huge chunk of our countrymen and women who seem to have a very bad, weird deal from the day they're born. So, follow me. Well, now she's getting up. I think... She's outside. But in Dibley, perhaps we should think about taking down some of these old notices like this and that. Decimalisation. And something else about the button. I didn't see what that was. Perhaps. And now she's putting up something else. What is it? Oh, Black Lives Matter like sign. How surprising. And now she's kneeling down on the grass, kind of in no particular direction, just next to the sign. So, uh, oh my goodness, Daniel, that is, I feel uh, unwell. <laughs> you need a break. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm, I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing at I'm not laughing at the screenwriter. I'm not laughing at her. I'm just laughing in just sheer disbelief almost at the, the, the ham-fisted, uh, preachy, um, sanctimonious, simplistic uh, rendering that I've just watched. I mean, as you say, that's, that is, it's, just, it's just so um, Zhejiang, isn't it? To, to characterise the people. So where do they live? What, 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 they're a village. Where are they? Are they in Oxfordshire? Or I don't know where the village is supposed to be in the Vicar of Dibley. Do you know? Where is it? Where is it? No, I don't. I don't know. Well, let's say, I, I mean, mean it's, it's around there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So let's say it's somewhere like in Oxfordshire, right? Where I used to live. I used to live in Oxfordshire for a couple of years when I was, when I was training in a, in, a, in a small village. And, you know, to make out that, like, the people who live there, they're not very diverse. They're not very cosmopolitan. As you say, they're all dribbly. They're all in. They're they're all against the decimalisation of currency. Oh, they're so out of touch. And they probably not, voted Brexit. They probably even voted to leave the EU. How could they? How could they possibly even think such a thing? And you know what we really need is we really need to uh, start supporting. Uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, who are a neo-Marxist organisation who want to defund the police, destroy uh, capitalism and dismantle the nuclear family. I mean, you know, and I just I don't know what to say, Daniel. I mean, your article is, is very good. So let, let's talk about some of the things you say in your uh, in your article, shall we? Um, so I, I think sorry, I'm just loading it back up. But I, I think that I think the base one of the points you make is that this is just not funny. OK. The Vicar of Dibley is a comedy show, right? We don't watch it so that we can be sermonized to. And actually, another, another point you make, which is a very good point, is that when we're, when we're you know, you and I are vicars and we do sermons for our job, right? And, and when we do sermons, we don't talk to people in this, this patronizing, superior, preachy way. You want to talk to people in a way which is, which is persuasive and winsome and where people are, people are going to uh, listen to you, not think, uh, who, is this, who is this creep talking down to me like I'm some kind of idiot, you know, like I'm some kind of uh, ethical moron who, who uh, is, is, is so 
you know, backwards and, and racist and, and needs to be educated by the superior enlightenment uh, cosmopolitan uh, vicar. So I think you're right about that. Not only is this, not only is this um, uh, preachy and, and superficial and, and silly, but it's, it's not what good preaching looks like at all. It's exactly the opposite of what we're trying to do. Go, go ahead, Daniel. I, 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 I've always introduced preaching to the training curates here as it's a conversation between three people, two of whom happen to be listening deeply in. Yeah. Um, you know, the congregation, God and yourself. Yes, very good, very the good. conversation, if it's an essay or if it's sermonising, um, or if it's Alan Bennett. Yeah. And my brother Ethoy the smooth man. <laughs> uh, then, then it's it's a, it's a total turn off. Uh, yeah, and and then and then we've got this other thing you say as well here. So some sympathetic clergy are scrambling to the program's defence, proclaiming it's the Christmas sermon we all need to hear. But well, as a as a sermon, I mean, let's let's analyse the content of that sermon, Daniel. If one of your curate trainings had given a sermon like that you'd say that the actual the actual i forget you know in in um in uh in augustine's uh doctrina christiana uh, on christian teaching he talks about rhetoric and one of the things he, he talks about is, is persuading people right it's having an argument which runs through your sermon it doesn't have to be sophisticated necessarily but it has to be clear what you're trying to say you're trying to drive to a point now Augustine talks about other things as well about, you know, um, persuading the heart and all that kind of stuff, the heart and the mind. But there has to be some kind of content to a sermon for it to actually hold together. And I would say that the actual argument of that sermon was was absolutely um, absurd, which was what I heard was. um, So a man has been a black man has been murdered in America. Therefore, uh, we need to do more to make sure that everyone's equal. And the way that we're going to do this is by putting up signs in the village and um, and taking the knee. I mean, what? I mean, and, and what's that got to do with Christianity? The only the only theological content in there was Jesus would do something. Well, you know, I, I'm, I mean, I'm dismayed by that. What what kind of sermon is this? You know, I don't, I don't know. What do you think? And there are other sort of nuances as well around that that were lost that we're worrying that you would think that a preacher would introduce. One would be the difference between um, the name of what is now a registered political party yeah. uh, and uh, a statement or a syllogism. Yeah. I think I mentioned it last week. It's like the difference between friends of the earth and saying, I'm a friend of the earth, you know, Everyone's yeah. a friend of the earth, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, likewise, BLM is a is a registered organisation with with aims, uh, many of which are to many of us uh, unpalatable. Um, so it by, by associate there is a sort of an association with that, which I'm surprised that in, in a sermon. <laughs> I'm not surprised, but yeah, it it would to me seem incredulous not to not to bring that up, not yeah. to highlight that. Yeah, it seems very one-sided. It's like it's like um, uh, 
I, I know this this happened a lot in in places like Czechoslovakia you know if you didn't put up a sign in your shop saying workers of the world unite which seems so inoffensive yeah uh, you might be you, you know you, you might lose your business eventually yeah um and and there yeah. could easily be a part of us that said well what's wrong with that you know it's yeah. an inoffensive term and yet you know that by association uh th this is actually uh, an insidious statement because it is linked to an organization that is trying to control you so yeah uh, in soviet times what you put up in your shop windows the signs you displayed uh meant more than just the statement yeah absolutely and and you know the, this is the thing that always really grinds my gears about all of this stuff that we're talking about when when the church get involved and i know this isn't the church because this is a fictional character we're just talking you know you've mentioned that lots of clergy have, have scrambled to the defense of this um there's a sensible sermon but you know if you're going to think about race theologically and you're going to bring uh, jesus into it you want to say you know what what jesus would have done something about it well he did do something about it he died on the cross for the whole world for the salvation of every single human being who has ever lived regardless of their class regardless of their creed regardless of their social status regardless of what sex they are and you know as, as david bentley hart has pointed out i think um, quite brilliantly in his book atheist delusions is that this was absolutely revolutionary for the first century. And this is where we get our idea of equality from. It comes from the fact that Jesus sacrificed himself for every single human being in the world, regardless of class, status, sex, race, whatever it might be. It's because of Jesus that we even think like this. It's because of, it's because of Christianity that we even have such a framework. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't um, allow Christianity to be subsumed into the um, into the aegis of a political movement like Black Lives Matter, but we should be we should be critiquing the movement Black Lives Matter from a Christian perspective mm. and point as as I think uh, somebody like uh, Tom Holland has done. I mean, I don't think he writes about Black Lives Matter, but he certainly has a chapter on wokery at the end of his book Dominion, and he's pointing this whole thing out. Right? You say you say, for example, that slavery is a bad thing, right? And that white people or English people or whatever are responsible for slavery. Okay, so be it. But you have to realize that the broader context in which we're having this conversation is a Christian context. You wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for Christianity. You wouldn't even have these categories of, 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 um, of racism and all this kind of stuff without Christianity. These things are fundamentally uh, Christian. And to the extent that secularists are using these kind of terms, they are actually parasitic upon Christianity. So I think this is the thing I always want to drive home here is that what is theologically going on here when we when we when we uh, do these when we talk about these kind of things. And for me, there is a fundamental mistake uh, in in sermons like this, which is that they are they are subsuming theology into either secular politics or you know sociology or whatever it might might be. Um, just to just to back up. Sorry, I know I'm going on phrases here, but to back up what you were just saying there about Black Lives Matter as a political movement. Uh, there's a very good article in The Spectator, um, another very good article, uh, by Rod Liddell. And you remember we were talking about uh, the Mill Millwall fans last week. Uh, they were booing, they booed the players when uh, they took the knee. And um, the fans booed at Colchester United. I used, to, I used to live near Colchester, I grew up near Colchester, and I used to go and watch Colchester United. The fans booed there as well. Um, 
And uh, I'll just read the first paragraph. It's, it's an enormous shame that the Millwall fans who booed their players for taking a knee in support of Black Lives Matter last week were not better acquainted with one of the British BLM leaders, Sasha, Sha, Sasha Johnson. They might have taken a knee themselves out of admiration. In August, Miss Johnson tweeted, the white man will not be our equal, but our slave. If there is one thing Millwall supporters respect, it's aspiration. And Miss Johnson has that in abundance. Um, anyway, so he, car he carries on like that. But basically, that's the essence of the, of the article. There's a very long uh, email that he reproduces that was sent from the Millwall fans' uh, representatives to the players, asking them not to take the knee, specifically because they felt that the BLM political objectives, not not the stuff about you know racism or anything like that, but the political objectives. Um, uh, it says here, I'll just read this. They cut across the beliefs of British people in the rule of law, free speech, respect for others, and the social justice that many of our forebears had to fight for in the trade union movement. And that's essentially the, the point that you're making, Daniel, is that these, this organization it's, you know, when you actually look beneath the, the, the hood, you can see that this is not uh, primarily about race at all. This is a comprehensive, extreme, extreme left-wing agenda, which many people feel is actually antithetical to their values as British people, the values which our, our politicians purport to, to promote. So, so there has to be a really clear delineation here between... Um, what Black Lives Matter as a political organization represent, and they are a political organization. In football, by the way, political organizations used to be banned from, you, you know, you couldn't promote political causes until recently. So you've got, to distinct, you've got to distinguish between that and the phrase Black Lives Matter. Now, nobody, nobody reasonable uh, would reject the phrase Black Lives Matter, right? Sure. Nobody would would be against the the premier league's um no room for racism campaign right i i don't want racism and i believe that black lives matter but what they're doing is that they're using that like you say it's like saying you know it's like calling a political party uh you know don't uh, don't uh, kill babies or something you know and and it, of course you know of course you black lives matter but but that doesn't mean that you can smuggle all this other stuff in and, and expect people not to notice, you know? It, it, it's a political na naivety of clergy who are jumping on that, on that bandwagon that is a very fashionable one. Uh, and I think we have to say to the exclusion of um, other causes that are very pressing and needy, uh, including anti-Semitism, as we saw yeah. last year, to which I have to say to my shame, I thought the churches said very little. Yeah suddenly became very silent you know yeah yeah <laughs> the, the irony you know that it, it you can't escape from you know uh and um, uh, other things like early in the spring we had 700 nigerians uh killed christian nigerians killed yeah uh and it, it barely a peep on the news now is it the case that those lives don't matter. Yeah. Uh, that shockingly, something which is bordering on genocide, uh, you know, it's similar situations happening all over Africa. Yeah. Uh, where these, you know, horrific religiously biased wars are taking place. Um, uh, and 
often you know innocent people are indiscriminately because whatever side of the you know it's whatever faith side they're on it's uh, and to say isn't it it's generally been that christians anglicans and catholics are uh, are being slaughtered yeah uh, and no one's saying a peep because it's unfashionable to do so uh, because it, it's far away it's remote uh and um, we can park that away and, and the other one that sort of struck me as well that, that the cause that's never sort of gets much um voices was brought up by i think spectator brought this up actually uh, the ucca the statistics showed that yes it is true that the that generally, for instance, black uh, black six formers uh, are, are underperforming in terms of university entry. Yeah, there is yeah. work to be done there. But the group below that, can you guess what the group below that is that are uh, that are, are really struggling to get into university? I, I imagine it's I imagine it's white working it's class white, boys. It's work, white working class boys. Yeah. And, and if you make any voice towards them, then you're a racist, you know, you're, you're some kind of neo-Nazi, just to say that there is a constituency uh, of people in our country who have no voice, or maybe whose only voice are extremist loons. Yeah. Uh, and we wonder why that group's angry. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, I, I've... There's a fantastic interview again this week on Spectator TV. I'm sound like I'm advertising. For <laughs> yeah, we do. Like the religious uh, arm of the Spectator. Andrew Neil and um, <laughs> Andrew Neil's and Trevor Phillips, and and Trevor Phillips is absolutely amazing in yeah. what he says about you know picks up on this as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And this is the thing as well with the football, Daniel. Like I was saying last week, lots of these guys they're they're just normal white working class British people, and they can't understand why they have to stomach these ultra ultra woke capitalist millionaires uh you know piously bending the knee before a football match as though that's as though it's as though that's actually some kind of virtuous thing to do i mean quite apart from anything else even if it was a completely legitimate political cause what's taking a knee got to do with anything it's not it's not doing anything you're just you know all you're doing is just symbolizing your your goodwill towards the movement and what 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 works are you actually doing towards racial equality are you actually out there in the community trying to make a difference or are you just virtue signaling um pharisaically for the purposes of of the uh of the of the audiences you know, and, Ooh, and, i've got another hot off the news go on, go on then oh. we've got we've got competition go on then harry and megan have signed up with spotify to do podcasting oh my goodness well i, I don't should we should we even bother next year really We're, they'll probably be covering a lot of the same kind of ground as we are won't they i, I just <laughs> we'll just send them the script you know <laughs> Oh my goodness, Harry! What has happened to Harry? You know, he used to be um, on talk radio. Mike Graham really made me laugh because he said, "You know, Harry is basically like every every other day he's recording a, some kind of woke lecture about you know uh, climate change or, or or systemic racism, whatever it used to be." You know, we forget that this guy. You know, this is the guy who dressed up as a Nazi at a part. What was it like, you know, when he was in his 20s? And he used to, you know, he was notorious for, uh, you know, um, uh, 
hanging around in in uh, casinos in Las Vegas, playing you know strip pool and all this kind of stuff with it with a bunch of supermodels. And Mike Graham said it really made me laugh. Is like, I liked him better back then than now. I mean, what's what's happened to the bloke? I mean, obviously, as as a minister in the church, I'm not condoning any of you know any any of that kind of um, that kind of uh, charadery. But honestly, I mean, this is this what has happened to harry i feel so sorry for the bloke i mean you know he's left his family he's left his responsibilities um you know he's he's he he they ostensibly moved to america to um get away from the, you know all the media attention but it seems to me like they're absolutely desperate for it that you know they've signed this um this contract with netflix not only to make a documentary about their own lives but to make very various other documentaries about you know climate change and and um, systemic injustice and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's just sad, isn't it? When Harry met Meghan. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, Daniel, let's let's move on, shall we? Um, your your article is brilliant, and you deserve you deserve to be uh, up up the charts there on the Spectator website. And I'll put it on the uh, show notes as always for anyone who wants to see it. And I do recommend it. But I, I essentially think you're right. Uh, I think we've covered the main arguments you make in it. Um, uh, Daniel, shall we talk now about a bit about the bishop? So I, I want to, I want to, in the tradition of this um, show, just vent a little bit about something I saw recently, and then uh, we can talk about the the washing machine, um, if that's all right. And if, if you, if uh, listeners are listeners are interested to hear what the washing machine is, you'll have to you'll have to stay tuned. So Daniel, I just want to talk briefly about this extraordinary. Uh, uh, I don't really know what to call it. It's kind of a question and answer. It's been issued by the uh, House, of, House of Bishops Recovery Group on the 8th of December, and it's called a COVID-19 vaccines update. And um, I, 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 I sent this to you, didn't I, Daniel? It's, it's a list of Ooh, questions yes, yes. about vaccines um, issued by the House of Bishops Recovery Group. So these are bishops in the Anglican Church. Now, again, I've been reading uh, Eric Maskell recently, uh, and there's a there's a chapter in this book I've been reading, uh, Corpus Christi, about bishops, about what the episcopate is, and the Anglican, uh, Anglican understanding of the episcopate. Now, obviously, there's a sort of a matter of, of um, controversy and debate about what exactly the bishops are all about. But generally speaking, I think most small C Catholic Christians uh, would would um, would accept, or even large C Catholic Christians would accept that the, the, the bishops are the descendants, if you like, of the apostles of Christ, and that they essentially uh, are there to uh, faith guard the historic uh, teaching of the church. So they're, they're the kind of sentinels, if you like, of our doctrine uh, and of our practice. And they connect the church uh, globally, and they connect the church to our historic past, and they, they also connect us with the future as well, because in the future there will be bishops. But essentially, that's what the bishops do. They're, they're a sign of the, they're a sign in the, the assurance of the church's Catholicity, her teaching, her doctrine, and so on. So I'm sort of perplexed by this, because I don't really know why, if that's what the bishops exist to do, why are they issuing a, an article about vaccines and whether or not vaccines uh, will work? And... I, I, so that's my first sort of question about it is uh, what's why am I just getting this random uh, Q&A written by the bishops about will the vaccines work? And then when you read through it, you basically hear the most um, the most pro vaccination uh, answers you could possibly get. So, of course, will the vaccines work? Essentially, yes, of course they will. 
are the vaccines safe? Well, it normally takes years for a vaccine to be, uh, to be developed, but this one's been developed quickly, but it's been developed quickly in a very safe way. So nothing to worry about that. Uh, haven't some doctors and scientists said that vaccines are unsafe uh, or that they'll be used for social engineering purposes? Now, I think this is perhaps the worst answer of the whole thing. And the, the whole thing is, I have to say, I think it's pretty bad, to be honest with you. But uh, it says there are more than 20 million doctors and relevant research scientists in the world at present. An ex extremely small fraction of them have contributed to various conspiracy theories or pseudo-scientific claims. Within any large group of people, there will always be outliers. The overwhelming consensus of medical and scientific consensus, that's a very poorly written sentence, is that these vaccines are safe, necessary and ethical. Right. I mean, I just find that, uh, I mean, I find that intellectually spurious um, to, to, to basically dismiss any doctors and scientists who have con concerns as conspiracy theorists or uh, peddlers of pseudoscience. I've read out in the show some concerns of highly eminent scientists like um, uh, Sutra Bhakti and his, his wife, Karina Rice. I believe Mike Yeadon, who is the former vice uh, head of, of Pfizer, has been very vocal in, in raising safety concerns about uh, about about these particular vaccines, um, and so to just dismiss them as uh, conspiracy theories, I think is disingenuous to the extreme. I think the bishops should should I, th I think they should really uh, rethink that. They should retract that and apologise because it's insulting, quite frankly, to to the scientists who have um, who have uh, raised concerns. As for this thing about the vaccines being side tr uh, fast track, sorry, I don't think you can give an absolute guarantee of safety of these vaccines. Last week, uh, two NHS was it two NHS workers had anaphylactic shocks when they took the vaccines, and uh, after that, after that. Uh, a warning was issued to people who have uh, allergies uh, not to take the vaccines um, at the moment. So that's that's just one example of, of a problem with vaccines. To, to, to be quite clear about this, it is absolutely disingenuous to suggest that vaccines in general do not have a chance of uh, damaging people because they, quite frankly they do and everyone who knows anything about it admits it, including people who are pro-vaccine. So immediately after that, for example, there was an article on the BBC saying, right, you have to weigh up the danger of the vaccine, essentially, against the danger of the virus, which is actually exactly the same thing this, this article uh, says. Um, uh, where is it? Yeah, so here, should, should those at low risk of developing serious complications from COVID-19 be vaccinated? So people like me, and I'm assuming like you as well, Daniel, you're, you're, a, young, you're a young chap as well. Uh, we're not particularly at risk, but guess what the answer is? Yes, you should have the vaccine, even if you're at no risk. Why? Uh, because the risk of any potential long-term side effects of the vaccine are likely to be made very much, sorry, are likely to be very much less than those risks associated with the virus. Um, and then, sorry, Daniel, I'll finish in a minute, but I just, I have to, I have to get this off my chest. Um, <laughs> should vaccine immunity passports be given to those who have been vaccinated? Uh, well, the answer to this is basically no. But the only reason it's no is because the vaccine won't limit transmission to others. Uh, and we don't know how long an individual's immunity will last. Immunity passports are therefore not likely to be recommended at this stage. So the answer isn't no, because that would... Uh, make us into a, a, a fundamentally unfree society where you can't go anywhere without proving that you've been vaccinated. It's not no because that would lay the cornerstone of some kind of nightmarish dystopian biosecurity bio state. The only reason the answer is no is because it wouldn't work. 
All right, so great. Will we be able to stop using face coverings, maintaining social distancing, etc.? Right, just, just in case you thought this vaccine was going to bring about uh, any kind of normality, any kind of reasonable life, the, the Church of England bishops have got news for you. It's not. The answer is not for the foreseeable future for the reasons given above. In addition, so even better, uh, it might be necessary to have further vaccinations if the virus mutates sufficiently. Face covering, social distancing and good public health hygiene are likely to be with us for some time. Well, I have to say, Daniel, that does not fill me with a sense of optimism. I don't know, I don't know if it does for you, but basically the message from the bishops is, uh, no, uh, we are going to have to keep on covering our face uh, with, with uh, pieces of material, uh, not going near our loved ones and uh, washing our hands incessantly. And not only that, but we're going to ha have to have more vaccinations. So, so the vaccination we're having at the moment is not going to stop transmission. It's not even going to stop the virus. So we can look forward to a, a, a happy future of covering our faces, never seeing anyone, and being uh, constantly vaccinated for the rest of time. I mean, <laughs> doesn't, that, doesn't that just put you in, in the mood for Christmas, Daniel? I, know you want, I feel like I want to take a long pause and just... <laughs> <laughs> breathe it all in really <laughs> take it all in really uh, the, the good news uh, according to church house uh, is there good news now <laughs> no, the, good further news. Good news. the good news the further good news the further good news in fact there was on the December the 9th I've noticed further guidance on the guidance oh <laughs> right good more guidance um, more guidance, um, 14 pages of it. Oh my uh, goodness. On everything from bells, clocks, bats, community use, build, use of the building, visitors, tourists, face coverings, um, church openings, uh, and the, tier, the three tier system, uh, so on and so on. Uh, my, my, even my laser jet here is struggling to print all this stuff out. <laughs> um, it's just extraordinary. I mean, who's got the time to write this, let alone read all this stuff? I mean, but Daniel, you're busy, is, you're a busy parish priest, aren't you? You've got, you know, the benefits with four churches. I mean, how are you supposed to keep up with this stuff? Sorry, carry on, carry on. Extraordinary, extraordinary isn't it? And, and, and we were told right at the beginning, it's all common sense. And yet... <laughs> And yet, apparently, common sense needs being incarnated into. I mean, I, I think if you put from the beginning back in, when would it be? Back in February, if you printed out all the COVID instructions from Church House. Oh, my goodness. You would have at least, what, two, three hundred pages. They would be um, longer. It'd be longer than Thomas Aquinas' uh, masterwork, <laughs> the Summa Theologiae. Um, and, and, and the irony of it is, um, I'm just looking where it is actually, it's somewhere. Put it in a massive file somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. Else. No, I was thinking of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Oh, yeah, I've got that here. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it says somewhere there that the bishops, including the, the current one in Rome and his predecessors, are um, authoritative in matters of faith and morals. Yes. I don't seem to remember it saying and health and safety. No, no. Uh, I, maybe that bit was tipexed out and, you know, it's... You know, or legislation around vaccines. Yeah. Um, uh, or, or how to sanitise buildings uh, or what dessert spoon to use during Christmas or how long your Christmas crackers should be. I, I, <laughs> I have a funny feeling that it isn't in there and that 
they see how quickly they have uh, they you know that everything else we we could sort of we can say yes you know you, you can you can make a claim to some you know divine inspiration uh on yeah. matters you know the creed and the scriptures but I, I think um, this this is slightly pushing it. Yes, really. <laughs> only slightly. No, just slightly pushing it, really. Um, yeah, um, I, I, I'm just amazed at whoever's writing all this stuff. I mean, it's it's, it's long hours in a little room, poking away, typing away all this. It's I mean, I just, I just, the question I have, Daniel, is what do they? What do they want us to do as, as priests? They want us to read this and convey this to our, our parishioners. You know, I mean, this is, oh mm. my goodness, it's a vision of the future, as I say. I mean, I'm sort of laughing in some ways, but that's only because if I wasn't laughing, I'd be crying. It's, it's so utterly depressing reading well, can you this imagine, stuff. Can you, can you imagine going to a parish on a Sunday morning where one certain... One of the bits of public speaking is is a is a Dibley-esque sermon. Yeah. And then that's followed by notices by seven to eight, ten minutes of this. Yeah. Well, I've got this vision uh, of them. How inspiring would that be? You know, you've come yeah. for it, you've come <laughs> to get away from it all. You've come to find a little niche of paradise in your village, town, or wherever. Uh, and and you get this um this. Yeah. Really dumped on you, you know. yeah and there's no singing by the way no singing everyone's everyone's in masks there's all there's seller there's uh you know masking tape everywhere there's hazard tape all over the place there's uh freestanding hand sanitizing stations every every two meters uh and you're not allowed to take uh the uh the wine at the sacrament and there's all kinds of other things that you can't do you're not allowed to you're not allowed to uh speak to anyone either before or after or during the service in fact, you've got to leave immediately, otherwise you'll be arrested. I mean, I think, I think Daniel, there's, I think Daniel, there, there we're, we're, I've got this kind of vision of the future where everything will be about, about something else. It would be like the victory of stakeholder capitalism will be so complete that a church service will no longer contain any theological or Christian material at all. It would just be, it would just be a list of, of health and safety rules read out uh, from the front to a, to a muzzled, muted audience. Uh, by by uh, by a priest, and then they'll be kicked out onto the street immediately afterwards. Si similarly, the Premier League football matches will no longer actually contain any football, but there'll just be an endless series of of political gestures. You know, rounds of applause, uh, taking the knee, uh, people protesting uh, racism by walking off the pitch, and no no football will actually be played. And I think I think eventually. Um, politics is going to re replace every industry to such an extent that none of these people you know ben and jerry's won't sell ice cream anymore they'll just campaign for racial equality do you know what i mean i think that's where we're heading schools won't teach <laughs> there'll, be no, there'll be no more mathematics or science no, no, it's too dangerous it would just be political indoctrination from start yeah. to start to finish two is five I mean, you know, this is, this is, I mean, I know it's we're sort of... you feel the answer is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know we're sort of joking here, Daniel, but this is what's going on. I mean, this is the absurd kind of conclusion of all of this stuff, is that unless, unless um, the church can actually um, stand up for 
Christianity, and it sounds so obvious, doesn't it? But unless we can actually say, no, hang on a second, um, you can't you can't allow this this uh, rampant, uh, highly politicized secularism to take over the church. We've actually got something to say ourselves. We've got doctrine, we've got uh, tradition, we have holy scripture, we have a heritage, and we have we have we have our own message. Unless we can say that, we're doomed. You know, we're absolutely toast. And I don't I don't know what the you know, I mean, I, I heard this article by Stephen Cottrell where, you know, just after the, the stuff, uh, the George Floyd stuff, forgive me if I said this before, but, you know, basically saying well, what we need to do is we need to support Black Lives Matter and then the society will start listening to us. And you just think this man is the Archbishop well, that, of York. That, He's the Archbishop of York. Freud. That's very Freudian, isn't it? I need it, to be I need to be needed. Well, can you imagine if, if St. Paulinus... Uh, when he discovered, or not discovered, when he founded the, the province of York, came and said, uh, well, look, I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to, we need to um, go to the north of England. And let's, I'm not sure who was there. Let's say it was Vikings who were there at the time. And what we need to do is we need to adopt the, uh, the Moors and the, uh, the ideology and the, the, uh, the ethical concerns of the Vikings. And then um, once, we've, once we've done that, the Vikings will start listening to us and, and coming to our churches. Uh, you know, would that would that would that have worked? <laughs> you know, <laughs> would it, or, or would it would it not have worked? Would the Vikings have uh... what, they, what they feel they'd like? Yes. <laughs> What would they like? Yes, to... I mean, you know, good luck with that. You know, they, they, you know, the Vikings used to do this thing called the blood eagle, where they'd split you from your 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 gullet, uh, your your throat, your your gullet, and then they'd then they'd uh, rip out your uh, ribs and uh, into a, into a, into kind of wings, and they they tie you up and hang you uh, from your arms. You know, that's that's what would happen if you did that. And I know that's very violent, but in a sense, there's no there's no there's no reason to think that these extreme uh, political organisations are going to be much more sympathetic because they they they've got no interest in uh, coming to church and they've got no yeah. interest in Christianity. And to, to uh, them, to them, we're a total irre irrelevance. And, and yet there seem to be many within the the. the the church at the moment seem very keen to evangelize uh, that constituency. Yeah, yeah. And to model the whole church around this. Um, and will, you know, disingenuously call anybody who resists, because that's often part of the hard left package, isn't it? it? Is the rubbishing of any critique, even the mildest of critique, as you know, well, you're the dribblies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like Clinton's deplorables, you know, you're yeah. you're you're beyond the pale, really, because yeah. you uh, because of your history and who you are and what group you identify with. Um, it, it's a very strange thing, isn't it, that that the, the church has put all its eggs into that basket, and and um, yeah, I'm sure yeah. we'll come about it when we look at the washing machine of. Um, yeah. yeah well let's 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 talk about that just just daniel can you i, I i'm a little bit um not worried but maybe our listeners think oh jamie you know he's just got this thing about vaccines but you just just to hear somebody else say something about it so you've got you've got quite a measured view of vaccines don't you i mean uh, but but you were sharing with me that you know you you've become unwell as a side effect of a medical treatment when you were younger and so oh you, yeah well oh, exactly um I, i'm i'm always been slightly um, anxious and sometimes more than anxious in terms of taking medicine 
I, I had an extreme allergic reaction when I was 13 to septrin, which is an antibiotic, which is still being used. Scarily, I'm told it is used um, in um, intravenous form in A&E um, really? because it's a, it, it's a sulfide property has a deep, uh, a, a very deep effect on the body. Um, but but there's a small minority of us, you know, I don't know, maybe point, let's say it's 0.1% of the population for whom we we would go into near anaphylactic shock, which is what, what happened to me. So I had three weeks out. Um, I actually had my skin peeling off at one point. Goodness. Uh, uh, and so, you know, whenever I've gone to the doctors and they said, oh, antibiotics. I haven't taken antibiotics for about five years now, actually. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. very, very reticent. I mean, that was one pill knocked me out for three weeks. Um, and yet this was described to me as a, as a kid who was overly snotty. He was constantly, just because of living on the edge of Dartmoor, probably more than anything else, and, and not eating enough vegetables, I was a bit run down. So I was given this uh, drug that's just described as... Uh, a miracle wonder worker, you know, it'd be like a, it'll be like a, uh, a boost to you, uh, and um, yeah, uh, I'm, uh, I, I'm not against vaccines per se. I'm just keeping an open mind, really. And I, I think I, I, I picked up on your concern a few weeks ago with Tom about, you know, the the, the long term trials are to look at neuro logical and carcinogenic effects yeah. as well yeah and yeah. that's why that's why vaccines take five to ten years to normally trial and it doesn't matter presumably how um, fast something is produced <laughs> you can't test it against that no um, yeah and that's and that's and that's why you know when the bishops say of course it's safe you know there's no there's no uh, danger associated with it to give it's so disingenuous because as we all know there are side effects for some people with vaccines as we've just discussed and also they haven't uh, they haven't observed the long-term effects so you can't you just cannot say that i'm sorry i mean you it's 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 a matter of it's a matter of uh, simple logic if you want to observe the long-term effect of effects of something, you have to have a trial group and actually observe the long-term effects. You can't speculate about it. Uh, so you, so we just don't know. So anyone who's taking the vaccine has to take that risk. And to tell them that they're not taking a risk, I think is wrong. I think it's wrong. I think it's, I think it's a real serious mistake. And I don't think the bishops should be doing it. I don't think it's right for them to do, to be saying things in such strident terms anyway. But, um, you know, yeah, one of the, one of the BBC gobbledygook um, news item, news pieces on their website uh, going on against uh, conspiracy theorists said, quoted a scientist saying that, um, you know, at, say at the most uh, uh, really bad side effects would affect 0.0001% of the of people who take it and um, well if you times that that number that percentage which i then did with my calculator uh by you know 50 million yeah yeah <laughs> it's a lot of people yeah it's actually five thousand people getting yeah. critically yeah and and many of whom if if they were not at risk from the coronavirus didn't need to have the vaccine anyway so you know that's five to ten thousand people hospitalized 
Yeah, I, I think I think you're you know you're you're totally right to to reveal that, Daniel. And 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 you know this is um, this is a really serious thing to be saying to people. Therefore, especially I think the, the Church of England bishops are taking such a or the recovery group are taking such an extreme line by saying that everyone who isn't even at risk should be vaccinated because the effect of long term COVID, long COVID, is is so much greater. Uh, you know that if those people become sick because of that advice. That's really serious, you know. That's a really serious say, thing to say to somebody. Uh, so I, I just think this whole thing is dodgy. And I think what's really happened, Daniel, and uh, this is my, this is what I think is really behind this, is that this is a political ideology uh, that's driving this whole thing, and that the the bishops who have uh, suggested this are just in the thrall of that political ideology. There is obviously science involved in this. I mean, there are scientists who have developed these vaccines, but the reason that they've been brought out so quickly is because they are in the service of a political ideology. Now, maybe they'll work. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll injure people. Maybe they won't injure people. But you know, this this is the only reason these vaccines are here is because they they the politicians needed the vaccines. They needed them for their for their narrative to work. Did, didn't you say you, you'd read um, that, that C.S. Lewis science fiction? Yeah, yeah, that hideous strength, yeah. Hideous yeah. strength, so the name escaped me for a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, if I remember rightly, I read it last year, is, isn't there some fawning vicar in it? If I remember yeah, rightly, yeah, yeah. yeah. That nice, nice is nice. Yeah, yeah. Nice yeah. Is, the, uh, uh, is, is this aw awful text techno technocratic yeah. organization that's slowly taking over the world yeah uh, and uh, he's <laughs> Lewis is serious Lewis is so is so on the ball isn't he oh yeah he, absolutely he has, this, uh, has this sort of fawning vicar I think, oh well nice are oh, nice you know could, it's all about progress. Yeah, progress. well, the, the vicar is actually a transhumanist. So he thinks that the eschaton is going to be brought, or the, he thinks rather the resurrection, as it were, the resurrection of man will be brought about within human history. So we're actually going to, we're going to, we're going to sort of develop ourselves through technology into, mm. into, uh, into the next phase of human evolution and that that what that's really what the the theological doctrine of the resurrection of the dead is about it's a metaphor for our own yeah. our own progress oh. skynet yeah again and this is this is again very very prescient of c.s lewis because this has become very very popular this kind mm. of this this way of thinking not necessarily about um uh, not necessarily in a theological sense although there are uh, theological transhumanists, but transhumanism in general, which is, you know, all of these nutters like um, Elon Musk and, and Klaus Schwab and, and probably people, you know, like um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, they're all transhumanists. They're all into this stuff about like uploading of consciousness and, and all these kind of things. Uh, Daniel. It's crazy. Absolutely yeah. crazy. Oh, it's madness. It's madness. It's completely anti theological. Go from trans transhumanism. <laughs> To, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> secret, secretly, I am a Dalek. I've always wanted to be one. <laughs> well, let's, on let's, weekend, let's discuss. On weekends, I, I become a Dalek. <laughs> yeah. Human, let's, human let's, by day, Dalek by night. It is. I've just, I can't get away from it. All right, let's, Daniel, I've got, I've got about nine minutes left before I need to go and, and take charge of my, my kids. Let's talk about this washing machine. Do you want to say something about this? Oh, yes. This, this on um, Anglican Twitter sphere has. Uh, uh, has really caused a little sort of uh, Anglican storm. And we, what, what, what might we describe an Anglican storm? Storm in a vicarage teacups. <laughs> um, it, it is uh, 
a vision for the Church of England in the 2020s. I believe it was produced under the guidance of our new Archbishop of York and various others. Um, I think Marcus Walker picked up that there were there was a there was a primary school involved in the brainstorming. So I think about three four hundred people went to a kind of SWOT analysis day, where um, you know marker pens were flying and whiteboards were scrambling with uh, a vision. It's a sort of corporate thing that you a nice day off yeah. from the office yeah. is to go to some um, glorious manor, or it. Or if, if left favourably, you know, the um, some sort of exhibition centre in Birmingham. It's a yeah. land and, conference room it yeah. tra- with a travel watch, you know. <laughs> so, so basically what we've ended up with is a, is a diagram, which is, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm just in a gentle, uh, gently humorous way referring it to it as the washing machine. But it's, it's kind of perplexing, isn't it? Because it's a round circle with sort of four or five other circles in the middle of it mm. and there's lots of words in it i suppose the three main words around the outside are bolder simpler and humbler uh, but then there's a lot of yeah. other stuff as, as well inside uh, yeah there, there is and um i noticed yesterday i think it's charles fraser marcus walker have been doing some stuff on this uh, and they found out that the company that the church of england used is a somewhat new age they've new agey outfit Right. Um, I'll see if I get a link from you. There's an even crazier diagram than this about really? how these, which shows how their company goes from, you know, from um, vision to reality in terms of brainstorming. So yeah. um, uh, that, that's a little bit embarrassing, I think. Maybe yeah, the- uh, that, is, that is embarrassing. But let's, let's look at the three of these things, right? So a church of missionary disciples. I think I know what that means. Um, a church where mixed ecology is the norm. Now, I've heard of the phrase mixed economy, uh, which I think means a sort of uh, different approaches to worship, I think, probably. And, um, yes. uh, but I don't I know what a mixed it, ecology is. I think it was changed to ecology because when Rowan Williams brought, put, put that, proposed that idea when fresh expressions came forward, they, they used the term mixed economy. However, yeah. that was what the Chinese Communist Party called their, <laughs> uh, was, was part of their grand plan. So, oh no. Uh, they, they had, <laughs> ditch, and that, was, that was not desirable. Uh, so, oh, ecology is, I mean, you know, we all like ecology, don't we? So it's a bit more fluffy-wuffy yeah. than um, something from um, Beijing. It, sound, it um, sounds like it sounds like they want to sort of fill our, our church with all kinds of church buildings with all kinds of diverse fauna, f- uh, fauna and flora, doesn't it? Like we, we want well, some... the, the, the Salkham Town Flower Club would be very pleased with that. Yeah, yeah, and, and so we've got that, and then we've also got a church that is younger and more diverse. Now, Daniel, uh, not, dib- not dribbly, not dribbly. Yeah, not dribbly and old and white yeah. and like you know. Yeah. And this is this is one of the problems, isn't it, Daniel? Because um, actually, um, this kind of reveals to me what the Church of England's bishops would like their congregations to be like, which you know, which is which is uh, completely opposite of what they actually are like. So mostly yeah. our congregations are older folks, and they're all white British uh, Brexiteers uh, who <laughs> who vote Tory. Um, and, maybe, and read the Spectator. And read the Spectator. Maybe not so much anymore, but uh, with the with the voting Tory thing after the the COVID 
crisis, yeah. but that's, gen- that's generally uh, who they are. What the bishops actually want is they want young people and they want loads of, uh, loads of different uh, B- BAME people in, in the churches. So that's, that's their vision. I'd, my concern, obviously, Daniel, is that um, look, we've got to minister to the people who are actually in our churches. I mean, obviously, we preach the gospel and we hope that people come to faith and, and come into our churches. But uh, I just, if I was a, a, an older, less diverse person looking at this, a bit like with the Dibley thing, I just think the bishops have contempt for me basically they don't want me in the church they despise people like me and uh they want to get rid of me so they can have some you know young chinese and and black people and you know in instead of me and i think that's that's the problem i don't know what you think think about that but you know that we've almost got we've got a situation where the actual elites of our church have contempt for the people they're supposed to be ministering to I mean, this job would be fantastic, as I say, if it wasn't for the people, you know, yeah. if it wasn't for the people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel Barbara Streisland singing like people. <laughs> yes, it's kind of, but it does betray it's, it's just slightly that they might not like the people that they've been landed <laughs> with. Which, you know, from a Benedictine point of view, I, I think with a rule, Benedict, if you could sort of sum up one of its ethos is, you know, how you, uh, you, you got to put up with the people you got. Yeah, yeah, you've got to love uh, the people who God has given uh, you to love. Was, wasn't it Bonhoeffer who noticed that there were people, there were, there were Christians who were very keen on community, who harped on about community, this community, that, and I want to live in a community. Uh, and after two weeks of trying it, found out they couldn't stand it. Yeah, um, because it was filled with people, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, and people are aw- awkward, and we don't always get along, and you know we have to kind of have those difficult kind of conversations that get us through this. So I think yes, yeah. I mean, what makes me laugh is is the, is in the brainstorming this they've decided to put Jesus at the centre of the church. <laughs> 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 yeah. Have I, have I missed something for the last <laughs> 52 years? <laughs> yeah, well, appar- apparently so. Uh, listen, Daniel, I'm going to have to go in a minute, but my suggestion would be that we don't really need a big washing, washing machine of uh, ecclesiology. What we need is a very simple mission, uh, which we could just summarize by saying, taking the words of Christ and saying, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That, for me, is enough uh, to fill, fill, a, fill a thousand lifetimes. Um, listen, Daniel, I'm going to have to go uh, because I promised my wife I would, I would look after the kids while she goes to pick up some new glasses. But um, thank you so much for being on. I've had a really good time. And, uh, you know, despite all the, all the gloominess, I hope we convey something to, to people, and we have done over the past few months, whatever, of uh, the, the hope and the joy that we have in Christ. And we do wish everyone a very, a very happy mm. Christmas, we, you know, despite all the misery that's going on, you know, do rejoice in uh, the the coming of Jesus Christ among us to to live a perfect life to to sacrifice himself to the Father to die on the cross for our sins to rise again for our redemption. 
who is ascended and reigns on high forever and he will come in glory to judge the living and the dead. That is ultimately our hope uh, beyond any political solution, beyond any vaccine. We put our hope in Jesus Christ. So uh, please be blessed, uh, uh, all of our dear listeners. We thank you so much for your support over the, the last few months. And uh, Daniel, thank you very much for being no, with me today as well. Thank you. It's, 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 it's lovely. And um, I, I've just seen again hot off the press that Sage uh, are suggesting no, no joking at Christmas. No jokes at Christmas. Well, that just, that no just sums it up. It, it, transmits, it transmits germs. So it, if you want yeah. to be against the culture, yeah. uh, have some jokes. Have, have a laugh. Yeah. Well, let's have this for a joke. The only Sage I want... Uh, this Christmas is in my is in my turkey stuffing. So um, let's let's leave it at that. Thanks so much, Daniel. God bless. God bless, Jim.